Good morning. Psalm 37, 7 says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Uh, This morning, I want to give us some encouragements on waiting on the Lord, waiting on God. Why why should we wait on the Lord? So just some motivation. This doesn't exhaust the subject by any means. Uh, but just to, to motivate us, to encourage us um, to wait on Him and to continue uh, waiting on the Lord. You know, much of the Christian life often isn't learning new things, but it's remembering things we know, remembering things we have been taught. And so much of the preaching ministry is simply reminding us what we know, and to do it by God's grace and by His Spirit. And so many of these verses, I'm sure, will say, yeah, I've heard that, I know that, but just may they um, be fresh and new to us today, where we're at, where God has us in life right now at this moment today, to wait on Him. Does anyone find it easy to wait? We don't, do we? And so much of life just in culture, in the world right now, is to get us to where we don't have to wait, right? I mean, so much is geared towards right now, when you want it, yesterday, right? I mean, you get it. So much of life is that way, but the Christian life is not that way. Christian life is one of walking in dependence upon the Lord, waiting on Him. You know, this week in... Um, just something as the Lord's latest on my heart, he's encouraged me in different ways in, in this regard, but still, you know, be prepared when you're going to teach on waiting <laughs> on the Lord. I mean, this week has been one of waiting this weekend. Uh, Vanessa is sick and yesterday she was sick, you know, preparation time for Sunday for Lord's day. And she is improving, but she still had to stay home with a couple of the kids. The way down, it's fog. I mean, it wasn't that bad here in Kirksville, but there's limited visibility on the road, and then who knows what car you get behind and how slow they're going. So, I mean, just lesson after lesson, remembering, wait on the Lord. It's not that you arrive and say, yes, I'm waiting on the Lord, I'm good the rest of my life, and God will remind us, listen, it's a constant, continual, day-by-day waiting on the Lord. And in that fog, I was reminded, too, just of how we had enough visibility to see in front of us. You know, God didn't let us see a hundred yards down the road, but there was enough visibility to see that next step. And so much of that's what God does, doesn't he? And that's what we need to rest in, that we can trust him for this next step. That's what his word does, right? It's a light. It's a lamp. It's a light to our feet, a lamp uh, to our path. So it, it, it's, it's not easy But yet this is the Christian life, one of waiting, one of waiting on the Lord. And the reason is, is because we are not self-sufficient. God is sufficient. And so praise the Lord that he works things so that we are reminded and and so that he removes us from our self-sufficiency, our pride, our arrogance, and casts us upon him daily to wait on him, to rest on him. Okay, so just some motivations this morning on waiting on the Lord. Why wait on the Lord? And we're going to be in a few different uh, places this morning. 
And we're going to look at a few things, and then we're going to spend some time on what I think could be the most encouraging motivation for waiting on the Lord. But first, we should wait on God, because God alone is able to do it. Go ahead and turn to Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40. And while you're turning there, let me read to you Jeremiah 14.22. says, Are there any among the idols of the nations who give rain? Or can the heavens grant showers? Is it not you, O Lord, our God? Therefore we hope in you, for you are the one who has done all these things. God alone is able to do it. And so he says, we hope in you. And just let me mention this. Um, in Scripture, in, in, in the Old Testament, um, you find waiting and hoping, and they're closely related. And oftentimes in the translation, um, it'll have in the column, when it says hope, sometimes it'll say, or wait. And when it has wait, it'll say, or hope. So they're closely related. If we are hoping in God, we're going to wait on God. If we're waiting on God, we have hope in God. But Isaiah 40 here, in just a great chapter on the greatness of God. We sang about this last week in verses 12 and following. But we come down, I just want to look at the end of this chapter here, verse 27. Look what he says here. And we see here that God alone is able to do it because of who he is. Verse 27, Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Have you ever felt that way when you're waiting? That somehow God is distant from you? That somehow God isn't aware of this situation that's going on in your life, that's a burden to you, that's weighing down on you, that somehow maybe God, this isn't important to God? But look what he goes on to say in verse 28. Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. And so in light of that, he goes on to describe what God does in verse 29. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Verse 30. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet look what happens for those who wait on the Lord, verse 31. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Strength for the believer is not dependent on youthfulness. Isn't that a blessing? Isn't that encouragement? It's not dependent upon health. I mean, there's a number of people, and I was just thinking in our prayer request, a lot of those prayer requests have waiting in there, doesn't it? In, in sickness and in health, um, provisions, financial, praying for loved ones. Um, it, it's, it's waiting on the Lord. But so much, it's, it's not dependent upon our own strength. It's not dependent upon our wisdom, our knowledge. It's not dependent upon our age. But it's dependent upon the Creator of the universe, the one who does not become weary or tired, the one whose understanding is inscrutable. What an encouragement there. And so our waiting has as its foundation the nature and character of God. It's not on who we are, it's but, but it's on who God is in us and through us. It's not dependent upon us, but it's dependent upon God. 
And we know that God is faithful and true. And so we can rest, we can count on that. And so much when we start being discouraged, when we're waiting on God, we start doubting his goodness, just like the serpent did to Eve in the Garden of Eden. Doubting God's goodness. And, and we get disoriented, and we need to come back to God's word and become oriented, just like it says here in Isaiah forty twenty eight, and resting in the nature and character of God. My ways are not hidden from God. This thing in my life is not insignificant to God. God knows, God cares, and God is working for my good in this. And think about this in regards to to waiting. All of our waiting is ultimately a waiting upon God. All of our waiting. Think about that when we're in line at the grocery store, waiting on the clerk or the person who is uh, finding money in their in their purse. Not just towards ladies, but towards the guys as well. I mean anybody. <laughs> But think about that in regards to our relationship with our spouse, with our children. Whatever the waiting is, all waiting is ultimately a waiting upon the Lord. And let's wait on Him. Let's be motivated to wait on God because He alone is able to do it. Whatever it is in our life, whatever our need is, whatever that is in our life right now, He is able to do it. Then also... Another motivation here to wait on God, because God is working for your good. Okay, turn to Psalm. Go and turn to Psalm. Psalms 25. Psalms 25 in this chapter of Psalms here. Three times he, he mentions waiting on the Lord. But I want to look at verse 3 here. And the motivation to wait on God, because God is working for your good. Look at Psalm 25, verse 3. He says, Indeed, indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. None of you, none of those who wait for God will be ashamed. No matter what it is you're waiting for, you are not waiting in vain when you're waiting on the Lord. You will not be ashamed whether it's in regards to work, employment, whether it's in regards to a spouse, whether it's in regards to direction for the future or a tough relationship, your health, your children, whatever it might be, those who wait on the Lord, none of them wait on the Lord in vain. None of them will be ashamed. Go and turn over a couple of chapters in Psalm 27. And we need to get a, hold, get a hold of this, hear this truth. Look at Psalm 27, verses 13 to 14. He says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Know that whatever you're waiting for the Lord in regards to today, you do not wait in vain. And you must believe it. It's not a vain, wishy-washy hope that we're talking about this morning. 
but it's a hope grounded in the very nature and character of God and who He is. And this is, this is the, the waiting, the waiting of faith. Remember Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Is that not what we need to remember when we are waiting on the Lord? When we are seeking His face? That He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Okay, now another motivation to wait on the Lord because God works for those who wait on Him. Turn to Isaiah 64. God works for those who who waits on him. You know, you think about the false religions of the world. Their God works for those who work for him. But the God of the Bible works for those who wait on him. For those who believe in him. Isaiah 64 He says this, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. As fire kindles the brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things which we did not expect, you came down the mountains, quaked at your, uh, the mountains quaked at your presence. For from days of old they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God besides you who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. God acts for those on behalf of those who wait on him. He works on their behalf. Lamentations 3.25 says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. God is working on your behalf. You're waiting on God. He is working. He will work on your behalf. Know that. Okay, fourth motivation here. Because others, another motivation for waiting on the Lord. Because others are watching. Others are watching. Sorry, keep you going back and forth here. Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 74. And here in the midst of affliction, of trial, the psalmist prays here in verse 74. Let's go ahead and read verse 73. Your hands made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Verse 74. May those who fear you see me and be glad because I wait for your word. There's an encouraging prayer. There's something to remember that this isn't just, it's not just about us. I mean, it's about God and it's about others as well. And how many of us have been encouraged as we have sat back and watched others wait on the Lord and heard testimonies of how God is working and has worked in that person and has been a motivation for us right here where we're at and what we're experiencing, what we're going through. Oh, that others would not be ashamed by how I am acting right now in this time of waiting, but that others would be encouraged, but that others would be glad when they see me in the trials, the afflictions, 
the place in life that I am at right now. Another verse you could look at is Psalm 69.6. We won't read that verse now. So a few motivations we've looked at so far to wait on the Lord because God alone is able to do it, because God is working for your good, because God works for those who wait on Him, and because others are watching. And this next point we're going to spend a little more time on is I think this could be... uh, provides some of the greatest encouragement and motivation for us to wait on the Lord. And it's because God has waited for us. Because God has waited for us. And let's go ahead and turn over to the New Testament now. And I believe we'll be in Romans chapter 2 first. Romans chapter 2. You know, patience, it's known as a, a fruit of the Spirit. But when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, we see that which would be understandable and obvious, is that all the fruit of the Spirit um, are, are seen in the nature and character of God. And so it is with the patience of God. The fruit of the Spirit, one of them is patience. And, but we see in Scripture that God is a God of patience. And one way we see that in regards to God is that He is bearing up under provocation, and that, that's an idea of patience. We're bearing up under provocation. Somebody is provoking us, pushing our buttons, so to speak. Well, if we're going to be patient, we're going to bear up under that provocation and, and be patient, be kind, be loving. Well, well, what provocation does God bear up under? Sin. The sin of mankind, the sin of the world, our sin. We have provoked God, but what has He done? He has been gracious. He has been merciful. The God of the Bible is a merciful God. And, and, you know, sometimes you hear people talk about as though the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are two different gods. The God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath and judgment. The God of the New Testament is one of grace and mercy. We know that's not the case. God from Genesis to Revelation is a God of mercy. God bore up when you just in regards to the Israelites. God bore up under the provocation of sin over and over and over again. God in his grace and his mercy reached out to them that they might experience his grace and forgiveness. So God bears up under the provocation of sin. And we see this more and more as we realize and are reminded of God's holiness. That we remember, as Habakkuk 1.13 says, Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness without favor. Remember Isaiah 6.3, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And we remember how Isaiah was humbled. Woe is me, he said. Woe is me. He, he didn't bear up with pride and, and boldness when he had that vision of the Lord there. No, it was one of, woe is me. How? How can I stand before a God of this nature and character? God is a holy God, and therefore God cannot tolerate sin. God, and we need to be reminded of God's view of sin. Just a few verses here. I'll read to you Psalm 7, 11 through 12. God is a righteous judge, a God who has indignation every day. If a man does not repent, he will sharpen his sword. He has bent his bow. He has made it ready. 
John 3.36, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Revelation 15.7, Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the earth, on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. It's only by God's grace and God's mercy that anybody can be saved. It's only by God's grace and God's mercy that we were able to take the breath of life and not be eternally punished for our sins. Isaiah 30 verse 18 says this, The Lord longs to be gracious to you, speaking in regards to Israel. And therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. The Lord waits on high to have compassion. And here God is coming and through the prophet Isaiah, warning the Israelites, proclaiming to them forgiveness, repentance, reconciliation with God. Deliverance, deliverance from their enemies if they'll turn. And over and over again, they turn from God. And yet it says here that God waits on high to have compassion on you. Well, this brings us to Romans chapter 2. Here Paul confronts the Jews who think who thinks of themselves to be better than the sinners described in chapter 1. You remember in chapter 1, we have the reprobate individual described in verses 28 and following. We have the list there. In verse 29, he says, Being filled, these individuals, with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Now we come to chapter 2. It says, Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So as he comes to chapter 2, he, he, he addresses this specifically to the Jews. They pass judgment on others, on the sinners of chapter 1, thinking themselves to be okay, to be okay before God. They're not as bad as them. And hey, beside, they're Jews. Their father is Abraham. I mean, this wouldn't be applying to us. But as Paul says, you do the same things, and yet you pass judgment on them. You're condemning them, yet you do the same yourselves, and somehow you think you're going to escape the judgment of God. And the Jews thought themselves to be better. They thought they had a foot in the door simply because of who they were. 
as Jews. In the verse there that we read in verse 4, he says, Do you think lightly, or, or do you treat with contempt the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, the patience of God, knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? What do we deserve? What do we deserve? We don't get what we deserve. That's the kindness of God. He he gives us the good things of life, the benefits that God gives, life, health, food, relationships. And not only that, His kindness, but His forbearance, His judgment that He withholds upon this uh, from us. And in all this, He's patient. He's patient. He's kind. He's forbearing. Matthew Henry said, There is in every willful sin a contempt for the goodness of God. A contempt for the goodness of God. And here they act like God's kindness is approval of who they are and what they are believing and what they are doing in, 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 their, in their lives and holding to the law, holding on to who they are, their nationality, as their hope for a right standing with God. And he says, no, the kindness of God here, his patience, is one to lead to repentance. But if you don't repent, he says, you store up for yourselves wrath in the day of judgment, in the day of wrath. There will come a time when the kindness, the forbearance, the patience of God will end, and they will be held completely responsible for their sin. When will that be? When will that be? It's only the kindness of God that they take another breath. It's only the kindness of God. It could be today. It could be today that God comes and says, listen, today your life on earth is over. It could be today that the Lord Jesus Christ comes back and and it's the day of accountability for all people. We don't know that time. But let may the kindness of God lead you to repentance. Recognize that God's kindness, His patience with you is not approval of your life. If you do not know Christ, if Christ is not your Lord, your Savior, it's not. It's to lead you to repentance. It's to lead you to the cross of Christ. And listen, this was true for all people. This was true for all of us. But God's kindness, His forbearance, His patience. And by His grace, by His mercy, we can call Jesus our Lord. We can call God our Father. And this was us. And God waited for us. Another passage, 2 Peter. 2 Peter 3, that speaks of the patience of God. 2 Peter 3, 13. Or 2 Peter 3, 3. We see here in 2 Peter that God is patient so that there may be repentance. 2 Peter 3, 3 says, Know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continue just as it was from the beginning of creation. Verse 5. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by... 
his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Now, verse 8, But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Why? Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Here, they're mocking the, the promises of God's word. They're mocking, hey, look, I mean, everything's been the same since the beginning. Well, no, you, I mean, you forgot the flood here. Everything hasn't been the same since the beginning. And the reality is, is things aren't going to be the same as they are today either. The Lord is coming. His coming is near. And there is going to be a day of giving account before God. Why hasn't that come today? Why hasn't that come today? Because God is gracious and God is merciful. Not wishing, not willing that any would perish, but all to come to repentance. And that's something to think about in regards to our own life when we are waiting. When we are waiting, well, what is God doing right now maybe in the life of others because of what he has me in right now waiting for? What soul might he have me come into contact with to share the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ that I would not come into contact with outside of this waiting right now in my life? Think of uh, some friends of our family. And she has since gone to be with the Lord. And she died of cancer within, I think it was a year and a half of her life. I mean, a godly lady, an encouragement. And, And... from our, I mean, live this out, waiting on the Lord. And she was at a treatment center in Oklahoma, I believe somewhere. And there at that treatment center, and she was always ready to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, always to share the truth of God's word with other people. And she saw this as God bringing her into the path of other people that otherwise she would never meet. You don't go to a cancer treatment place on your own, usually. But God brought her there, and in God's grace and mercy, brought her into contact to two ladies that she was able to minister to, and who God saved through that ministry. What might God be doing right now in our lives and through our lives because of the waiting that he has us in? And that's what he's saying here. I mean, one of the purposes of of this waiting, God's timetable is not the same as our timetable, but it's the perfect timetable. And he's doing it, he says here, he's not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And I just want to speak specifically to anybody who maybe, I mean, you wouldn't, Jesus is not the Lord of your life. You are unrepentant of your sins. You're righteous in your own eyes in regards to God and your relationship with him. Or you think, you know what, I'll have time. I'll have time. I know these things, but listen, I'll have time you know, to make things right with God. We don't know that. We don't know that. We are on God's timetable, not our own. We don't know when the time will come, when we'll be called to stand before God and give an account. And we know that it's appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. And if we're not right with God now in this life, we will not be right with him in the afterlife either. 
It's only God's grace and mercy that he has sustained your life this long and not punished you eternally for your sins. See this as God's grace and mercy, not something that is owed to you. It's not owed to you. It's God's grace and mercy that you are here to breathe another moment, that you're able to hear the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ preached. It's his grace and mercy. Do not go on in your ignorance. Rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ, thinking that you'll be okay, when in reality the truth is you will not be. Don't be duped to think that you will escape the coming wrath of God for your sins. Don't listen to those who would tell you to ignore the warning. Do not listen to the world. The God of this world is Satan, who is a murderer. He doesn't care what happens to you in the life to come. He wants your life now. He wants to destroy your life. And that's the message of the world. Hey, forget about the afterlife. Forget about what happens after death. And hey, just live in the now. Live in the present. That's what Satan wants you to be focused on. Don't listen to those who would tell you to ignore this warning. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The one who does not obey the Son will not see light, but the wrath of God abides on him. It's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time. Just as the psalm talks about God's wrath being like the drawstring of a bow being drawn to be released at any moment. But by his grace and mercy, it isn't yet. There's a story, some of you may have heard of it, the Johnstown Flood of 1889 in Pennsylvania. And it's an interesting story. Uh, this town, it's in a valley, and uh, of John, Johnstown is in a valley, and up the valley, up on top of uh, the mountains, the hills there, um, in that area, there was a, a lake, there was a dam built in a lake. It was built in the early 1800s. But over time, it was neglected. There wasn't hardly any water in it. Um, some investors came uh, and, and purchased uh, this, this dam and to build kind of a, a, re, a retreat for the people of Pittsburgh, uh, some of the wealthy individuals there to come and have a place of retreat and fishing, so on and so forth. Well, when they came and, and quote, repaired the dam, they should have cost over a hundred thousand and some dollars, and they spent maybe twenty five thousand dollars to repair this dam. Um, there were relief tubes at the bottom of this dam, and uh, over the years of neglect and looters, they came in and I guess stole the lead from these pipes. And instead of replacing them, they simply pulled the pipes out and filled it in with whatever they could find to fill in these holes. Um, they lowered the level of the dam on top. It was an earthen dam. They lowered the level of the dam. Um, so where the capacity that it could hold wasn't as great as it could be. And anyways, it was open in 1880. And there was always talk of this dam and concern. And every deluge of rain that would come, there was talk uh, of, this, of this dam and concern. Oh, is it going to break? Is it okay? And, and they'd go back and forth arguing with you know the leaders of of the lodge and, and the people of the town who maybe has some concerns. And, and um, there was always concern. Well, it, it became a joke. One individual, George Heiser, he had a store in the town of Johnstown. After the flood, he said this, The townspeople, like those who live in the shadow of Vesuvius, they grew callous to the possibility of danger. Sometime, sometime 
Sometime they thought that dam will give way, but it won't happen to us. The wrath of God is like that. Um, the wrath of God is, 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 is like that dam. I mean, it, it is going to give way at some point in time. And, and this is the attitude of the world. Sure, sometimes something might, bad, something might happen like that. There might be a God, so on and so forth. Um, but listen, it's not going to happen to me. I'm okay. I feel okay, right? So everything must be okay. No, the reality is, is you're in Johnstown. I'm getting a little ahead of the story here, but you're in Johnstown, and there is a dam there that is going to break and is going to come washing down that valley, destroying everything in its path. Well, that day came in 1889, a rain like nobody had ever seen, and there was still a joke. I mean, the floodwaters were rising. There was still, you know, oh, maybe today, today the dam's going to break. Um, and, and when it... The individuals up um, that were watching the situation at the lake, at the dam, they realized that this dam isn't going to hold. And they sent down individuals to warn the towns below them. And it's interesting, the responses. One operator was later quoted as saying that the South Fork warning was generally well known. And South Fork is a town right below the dam. But he says, but of course, nobody paid any attention to it than if there hadn't been one at all. I know I didn't for one. It seemed like a rumor, and they didn't take any belief in it. Let me read you one other account. The trainmen had been sitting in the last, in the last car of the mail train talking about the situation, but for some reason or other, S.E. Bell, who was conductor on Section 1, and Levi Easton, conductor of Section 2, made no effort to warn their passengers. The likeliest explanation seems to be that they, like so many others, had no real fear of anything happening. But what followed was, as one writer said, one of the greatest tragedies to happen in America that destroyed and I'm sorry, I haven't got to the part of the book that says how many died yet. Um, but, I mean, hundreds and thousands, and just a sad story because they ignored the warnings. And listen, this is a warning being proclaimed from the Word of God. Yes, God is a God of wrath. God is a God of, of indignation because of sin, because of the sin in your life. But there can be forgiveness. There can be grace and mercy that protects you from that oncoming flood of his judgment. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his cross. That's his life. Turn to him. Turn to him and be saved. Well, there's just a few motivations for us today to wait on the Lord. Let me go over them. Briefly again here, because God alone is able to do it, because, because God is working for your good, because God works for those who wait on him, because others are watching, and because God has waited for us. Brethren, God has waited on us to give us eternal life. Can we not wait on him for a few minutes, a few hours, a few days, a few months, a few years, a lifetime? Spurgeon said this, Patience is the daughter of faith. We cheerfully wait when we are certain that we will not wait in vain. It is our duty and our privilege to wait on the Lord in service, worship, expectancy, and trust. Our faith will be tested, and if it is true, it will bear up under continual trial. 
We will not grow weary of waiting on God if we remember how long and how graciously he waited for us. May the Lord help us to wait on him.